If you want to get extra pickles on your burger at McDonald's in the Netherlands, not going to happen. It's just apparently like it just blows their mind. I was in a, uh, a McDonald's uh, over there. I don't know somewhere in Amsterdam. I still can't pronounce anything. You got a you got a something or another <laughs> strut. Uh, yeah, I was I was trying to rectify this yesterday. I started using uh, or started reusing Duolingo, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use it. You know, about 20 minutes every day, except for today where I didn't. So I think it's gonna be one of those things I did once. And, uh, you know, it seems fine. You got, I, you got, uh, the, the, the Misha, Misha for girl and Jungin for boy and, uh, and, and, uh, Vader and milk. As always with language courses I want, they're like, you know what we should teach you first? A bunch of vocabulary that's fucking useless. <laughs> we're gonna have, we're gonna teach you how to ask for your parents. Yeah. Mr. 40, yeah. 40 year old. <laughs> would, would you, would, you know, I don't know. Would you like to learn something like if you're at a grocery store and they ask you if you want your receipt, you can say no? No. That, that oh, wouldn't be handy. Man, why, why would you want to know. know that? Would you want to know numbers? Uh, no, no. You know, that, that would help me in most of my interactions. You know, when, when I'm in Tokyo mm-hmm. and I'm trying to buy something with my card and they ask me some questions and I'm just like, no idea. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, I'm uh, just like, here's my credit card. Just pay. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care how much it is. Just pay. Yeah. Please take my money. Domo arigato. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. And then they just shake their head and yeah. Are they, are know. they still, uh, are they still doing a lot of cash over there in Japan? Have they sorted that out? Uh, they're, they're, they're definitely, uh, still the most cash heavy place uh that i've been across in asia mm. um they are though working really hard on their english uh they've got the the olympics coming uh, mm-hmm. next year yeah and so they're going out of their way to speak english getting you know it's like a big national push to get more uh more hospitality for their uh visitors and i guess they assume most mm. of them are going to speak english and this year they've got the the rugby world championships are there Mm. So they're going to be, you know, going to be a big influx of uh, Brits and and Australians and Irish and whoever else plays rugby. Are they uh, the big rugby players? The Japanese? Apparently, they they yeah they they put together a team and uh, yeah um, I don't know you know how well they compete against the Samoans and and the Tongans and the like, but yeah. uh, you know they uh, they show up at least and they're yeah. hosting. That's that's sort of like that's sort of you know you got the Australians and the New Zealanders and they just have like basically a team full of the rock as far as I can tell which that seems difficult to compete against. I don't know. I don't know anything about that sport. Are they called ruggers? Sure, let's make it up as we go. I thought that, I thought that's what they called them. I don't know. <laughs> I, got, I don't know. I got nothing. Why don't they? Don't they just like? Don't they just, just like come up over there in Oceania? Just like it's just, you know, in it's, it's, the water supply. Don't aren't they like selling oh yeah. cell phones well, and cologne and that kind of shit? And sausages. <laughs> so Australia has uh, different sports for different parts of the country. Like mm. um, they they they've got uh, they've got the Australian football, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the AFL. Yeah. And that's very popular in uh in like the Melbourne area. They actually I think I think that might be another a state holiday is the championship day. You know, they don't have a Super Bowl Sunday. They make sure to make it a Friday so they make a three day weekend out of it. Uh-huh. That's um, good. That's that good. And horse racing. <laughs> and then uh rugby is more popular in like the Sydney area. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, they're the, the cricket players. They're kinda all over the place. 
Um, and then as far as I know, there's like two different kinds of rugby and different kinds are played in different places in the state. I see. Or I mean the country. Huh. Or more popular. And then Olympic rugby is different from from like league and union rugby. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's it's there's a lot going on there. Well, it's a big country. A lot of a lot of diversity <laughs> in sports. Oh yeah. It, it's huge country with uh as as we saw in the the Slack channel, uh, sausages at the ballots. So uh, that's right. Yeah, you know, and my son's going to be volunteering tomorrow at the the sausage, really? the democracy. He's going to be handing out democracy snags. Is that what they call them, <laughs> snags? <laughs> yep. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. So if, uh, what, why uh, don't you why don't you fill the listeners in on what you mean by democracy sausage? <laughs> What's going on there? So Australia um, Australia does a lot of things right when it comes to voting. Um, it's uh, mandatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can pay. You can vote early. You can vote by mail. Um, but they make a big tradition out of voting. Uh, you know, kind of. I guess uh, having a a culture of not getting to choose things for yourself. They are now very <laughs> adamant that you're. Gonna I was, choose I was gonna say they were like some fucking assholes sent us over here. <laughs> Let's make yeah. sure that never happens again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So they. Uh, they're very uh, passionate about the democracy, and uh, uh, so so everyone has to vote. Well, you know, everyone voting age uh, has to vote. I think it's I want to say like a seventy five dollar fine if you don't vote. Um, what is that? Like ten dollars you... US or something? <laughs> well, no, no. Uh, but the exchange rate is awesome right now for me because uh, I. But uh, anyway, you know, so you. They have a big polling station and or lots of polling stations, you know, every like four or five blocks, it seems in the NRA, there's a polling station and everyone gets up and uh, local fundraisers will have a they'll just set up a grill and they'll they'll be uh, doing what they call uh, democracy stags. (laughs) because <laughs> sausage is too long a word um and it's literally like a grilled sausage on white bread uh uh-huh. maybe you can order it with onions and then they'll have uh you know ketchup or tomato sauce um and mustard and barbecue sauce in the big squeeze tubes and you can uh get those and it's usually like uh 250 a, a snag huh. and you know my uh my nine-year-old, he'll you know he'll scarf one down and ask for another one immediately, and so uh, that's like the tradition. And then in the Slack channel, I posted somebody actually put up a like crowdsourced map because not only do they sell sausages, some places the sausages are halal, and uh, some places might have vegetarian sausages, and some places uh, are selling, um, I guess, cupcakes. You know, so uh, they make they they go all out, and you know, the, the, and then the, the the other nice thing, you know, as long as I'm talking about democracy, um, <laughs> <laughs> the other the other nice thing is is they have um, uh, uh, the the voting where where you you vote in the priority of the candidates that you like, mm. and so it encourages third third fourth fifth ninth party candidates. Where you know you you rank them and you're like, well, first I'm going to vote for the you know uh, the Green Party, and next I'm going to vote for the Animal Rights Party, and you know, and all these. Well, the Greens actually get into power occasionally, but like you have parties that are like single issue voter things. Like mm-hmm. there's a party that wants to get rid of make Australia a, a republic, um, and you know no longer uh, have the Queen uh, involved. That's the only issue. Uh, That's the only uh, thing they have. And so if you're like, yeah, I'll throw those guys a vote. 
And then, you know, when they don't get elected, my vote will still count because my second choice is one of the more mainstream people. So as long as those, you know, third party candidates get uh, a certain number, they get they get financed and they get to appear on the ballot next year. So there's a very active number of parties. I think I saw there were like 20. Wow. Uh, Huh. Yeah. I have, yeah. I have, I have, uh, I have three follow-on points slash comments. <laughs> One, I do not believe the letter T appears in the word sausage, so I'm a little confused about how they're called stags. But that's okay. No, 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 snags. Snags. Yes. There's, there's also no, no N. <laughs> Wait, sags. Snags. Snag. Like I snagged a sausage. Yes. yes. Sausage. Now, now I'm no big speller, as I tell my son. I told I was telling my son uh, this evening that I I still can't spell, and he was he was like, "But you write books," and I, you know, I didn't. I almost said, "Well, the computer sure. helps me spell words," but I didn't want to tell him the uh, the voodoo that we all use. You know, you got to make mm. them suffer through that. So, also, uh, I don't think there's an N in sausage, but that's okay. I'm, I'm going to move on. Well, you know, there's not an O in pregnant. Women still get prego. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. <laughs> uh, I forgot what my, my second point question was. But, you know, I was in London earlier this week. And uh, every now and then when I'm reminded of it, I you know, the Commonwealth, what is what an interesting concept that is. I, I went and looked up a map for it the other day. And it is... Uh, there's a lot going on there. I mean, do they do they just like kick some money up to the queen or something? Like, what's going on with that? Is that just a, a cultural thing? I mean, obviously it's a cultural thing, but like that's a that's a and that by interesting, I don't mean weird or fucked up or anything. It's just like that's a that's a fun overlay on the world. <laughs> I wonder what's going on uh, there. The 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 overlay um, historically was was very hands on, but uh, oh now sure. It's, well, I mean, it used to be just yeah. like the British Empire, and then and then they oh were, yeah yeah. So, but that but that's what I'm. What makes it interesting is it's like it's just like uh, see, I don't even know the words to describe it. I mean, it's I don't know if it's a, a kingdom. It's not a government. Like, do you get to go through the like monarchy? fast line <laughs> when you go in, through the passports of each country? Like, they don't use the same currencies. Like. It's just a, I don't know. It's, oh, it's a, it's a theoretic yeah. whatnot. Like it's, it's yeah. A, I mean, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, is Commonwealth countries, uh, immigration is relaxed between them. So there's, mm. uh, there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of Brits and Canadians here, uh, Northern Irish, mm-hmm. um, up until I guess 1986, a lot of South Africans, yeah. uh, South Africa, actually, you know. Formerly oh, withdrew from yeah, the Commonwealth. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They got they got uh, booted in like the seventies or eighties or something. I, I yeah, don't know. I don't know if they withdrew or got booted, but I remember reading that. That's where I read about yeah. it last when I was in South Africa. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and so uh, there are you know like Brits just show up and <laughs> boy do there, they. There were yeah, and and you know and and they 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 tend to stay, so they call them you know pr- prisoners of her Majesty. So they're you know the mm. Brits living in Australia, huh. Um, huh. New Zealanders and 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 Australians have essentially open borders between them. <laughs> yeah. um, Don't bring so fruit like, though; they'll fuck you up if you try to bring fruit into those countries. Not a good very idea. True. Very actually, true. It's actually but, not true. As I've said before, they have trash cans you can put them in. You know who'll screw you up? Americans. We're just like you bring fruit into our country, you're dead. 
That's pretty much what our policy Cavity is. Search. Yeah, yep. that's right. You got an orange <laughs> up your ass? We'll find it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the Commonwealth, that's that's one of the nice things about it. You know, that, that and the Commonwealth Games, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me close out this topic about pickles. Cause I'm just, I'm just, uh, <laughs> we got, we got to, you know, here's, 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 I don't need a fast food hamburger, you know, very much. Uh, even, even, you know, uh, uh, stealth fast food stuff. Like back when I was at Austin, I didn't, I never really like, I don't really like those, those P Terry burgers. They're like really small, right? Like I want, I want, I want one of those burgers where like the meat is thicker than the bun. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to eat a bun. I want to eat a burger anyways. Uh, like, so usually what I've learned, I learned this with, uh, with my, my coworker and my taco buddy, Bob Brindley, we were in uh, Antwerp at, uh, I think a DevOps and he was like, we're going to go to Burger King and get lunch. And I was like, uh, what? And he's like, yep, there's a Burger King over there. We're going Cote. And, uh, so we went over there and I ordered like a big burger and, uh, I took a bite out of it and I was thinking, what's missing from this? And, uh, I went up to the counter and I said, could I have some extra pickles? And uh, they were slightly confused down there in Belgium. But then, very ably, they brought me some extra pickles. I put the extra pickles on the burger. It was delicious, right? Like, your fast food, neon green, waffle-cut pickles really going to, like, change the flavor of your burger in a good way. So today, uh, after after the kid, uh, my daughter's gymnastics, there's a McDonald's right next to there. You know, you'd take the kids to the McDonald's, uh, I think. Is Bacchus. I mean, I've seen those commercials. That's life, right? And uh, so I went there and I got a. I think it's called like a tasty burger or a big tasty. I I don't fucking know, right? I'm not. This is like the first time I've been to McDonald's. Not to be all highfalutin in like ten years. And so I ordered it, and uh, I got the burger. And then I went back. This is in Amsterdam, and I said, "Could I have some extra pickles?" Uh, and the person I was talking to, I don't know what you call him. You call him a clerk. Uh, they're not a waiter. But whatever they cashier. are, cashier, I guess they, they sort of looked at me. There was this long pause and I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe this is, I found the one person in the Netherlands who doesn't speak English. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, um, you know, uh, some pickles. Could I have more pickles? And they looked at me still and he said, uh, well, we, and he made this motion as if like we put pickles on the burger. Now, uh, yeah. slight side note, the burger I got, no pickles on it. So he was misinformed. Oh. Uh, and, and then he kind of said no. And I was like, no, well, um, I didn't see him on the menu (laughs) thing, so I couldn't add them. I mean, can I, can I pay for them? And then his like assistant manager type looked over his shoulder and gave me, he was just like, no. And so I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) And so I left and, and, and I just, I just, uh, I'm, I normally, I don't complain about this kind of stuff, but I feel like that's fucked up. Like just (sighs) give some pickles. Like what? What's it? What? What are we talking about? Five cent profit loss, right there. Like Cote. it's yes, Cote. yes. It's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. <laughs> all right, all right. There you go. Is that called a denouement? I I don't know my French. That but. is literally Burger or was Burger King's motto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you learned a valuable lesson here. Yeah, I think you're all right. right. You can have you can have your burger any color you want as long as it's black. All right. Um, and then, you know, G, uh, Burger King is the, the GM of burgers. Yeah. And then, and then finally, okay. So just, just two, two more anecdotes, <laughs> two more anecdotes here. Uh, of course I got the kids happy meals. What are you going to do? Uh, and, uh, I ate some of their fries and those fries are not as good as I both remember and people talk about. I mean, they're just like, 
They just like fries. I don't know what the big deal is. Uh, but, um, you know, one of my kids opened their burger and they're like, Oh, look, I have a pickle. Notice the, the article used there, <laughs> a pickle. Um, and I, and I think, you know, if they, hey, you know, McDonald's Benelux, they got to make their money, right? Like, that's fine. <laughs> you put one pickle on there, not two. God knows you're not going to put three. One pickle is fine, right? You just, those, those margins are super thin. If you put them in your hands, they're going to give you cuts. They're so thin. No problem. One pickle, the parsimonious McDonald's people here. I got it. Uh, but this reminded me, it's this phenomena that I'm going to start having my eyes out for, uh, just wherever I go. We were in Croatia for a vacation and, uh, we got something that was advertised as a, uh, as a pizza with olives on it. And what that meant was that there was a pizza that you could cut into four slices that had four olives on it. And, uh, I've noticed since then, like I've looked around and there'll be a pizza with tomato and it means that there's basically four cherry tomatoes on it. And I'm not really sure, like, if this is some kind of, like, uh, like impoverished Mickey Mouse and Goofy and Donald Duck thing where you get that out and cut, like, these transparent slices off of it, like that bean they had or what the deal is. Or maybe maybe it's just sort of like a visual thing. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, – Maybe think it was a really good on. olive. This is true. It's, it's, it's one of those olives Fancy that, uh, olive. that when those olives are being raised, there was that French guy who would lay down with them and talk with them <laughs> and like, you know, soothe them. And then he like, you know, extracts their liver and makes pate out of those olives or whatever. Mm. But it does, uh, truffle olives. I don't know. See, there, there's, I do some... think there's, uh, there's a good movie. It's, uh, The Founder, which is about the, the guy that, uh, Ray Kroc, the guy that sort of, uh, made McDonald's this massive institution that it is. But, in there, the McDonald's brothers like go over. They have this like, assembly line, and there's like I think there's even a whole segment about like they go through like, exactly like they had perfected. I think it was, I think it was two pickles. It was like two pickles, this much ketchup, onions. Like they had the thing down to uh, a science, and it was like yes, this is the hamburger you get every single time. Yeah. So and yeah. that was uh, so I don't know. You're going against. Uh, I think you were looking for an enterprise sale, and you know you're just you're in, in the consumer world. That's how it happens. It's true. Yeah, no, I, I, I accept a fallacy in my expectations. That's, that's no problem. Well, uh, you know, let's say, let's say you are running some enterprise software and, uh, you want to make sure things are going well. Like you have, you have metaphorically, you've got someone like me running around and the, and there's like, they're like, I need more pickles. And then some, some <laughs> event happens and you want to detect your anomalies running around and your, your IT infrastructure in your, as I have learned that the British at least call it, your estate uh, of things that you're managing. What, uh, you know, is, is there something we know about that people might want to use? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this episode uh, is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their DevOps tools, Paper Trail. And I don't know if it has a pickle plug-in, but uh, diagnosing an app error, a sudden spike in event messages, or a customer service ticket, get to the root cause fast using Paper Trail. Powerful cloud-based log management designed for engineers by engineers. With PaperTrail, you can streamline troubleshooting with live tail to see events in real time or search through hours of logs in just a few seconds. An event flow visualization lets you spot patterns and trends and pick out anomalies. You can select the trouble spot on the graph and instantly jump to those events. As you work, you can save searches and create alerts without leaving the event viewer. And there's nothing to install or set up, so you can be up and running in minutes. To learn more or try SolarWinds PaperTrail for free for 14 days, go to papertrailapp.com dot com slash sdt all lowercase and make troubleshooting fun again yeah it should be fun i think you know i saw uh 
I, I forget which conference I was looking at, but, you know, Charity Majors was somewhere. Systems management, super fun nowadays. Can you imagine back when we were working on that, If if uh, well, would that be described as fun, systems management? Sounds like I can finally leave the uh, the monitoring sucks uh, GitHub org. Mm. <laughs> it's fun again. Yeah, it's it's a real. Maybe they thrill. need to rename it. Yep. Well, you know, I always enjoy you got your uh, you got your trends, your new ways of doing things, and I love it when I get to hear some stats, as it were, some mm. numbers about an enterprise, uh, an organization using it. And speaking of the food industry, I, uh, there was a um, there was some coverage in the register of uh, a Sainsbury's talk at uh at uh the AWS London event up there. One uh I'm fascinated by companies that still have the possessive s in their name. Uh cuz I, I think <laughs> I think a lot of companies drop that after a while. Like like Arby's, McDonald's, McDonald's. Does McDonald's Yeah, they don't have a possessive uh, s. Yeah, I don't think they do. So so congratulations to the Sainsbury people. I mean, I guess I guess if anyone is going to maintain grammatical integrity, it's going to be a British company. So it won't be the Australians. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll just they'll just fucking be like, "There's too many letters in this. Let's just call it stains. Let's go." Like, no, just... they actually they actually printed the new fifty dollar bills with a typo in them, oh. and they're like, "Well, we made two point three billion dollars worth. It's gonna stay." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that this this reminds me of my favorite phrase: "Are you uh, are you living to work or are you working to live?" And you know. <laughs> Ain't no, ain't no, you know, time spent, uh, proofing your $50 bill template is time not spent surfing. Like that's, that's basically what it gets down to. So, uh, anyways, so Sainsbury's, uh, was going over some of their stats. Now I have not done any work to verify this, so let's just assume it's true. So I can, you know, disclaim any responsibility. And, and according to what they said, what they were saying, uh, is basically they have 80% of their groceries online running on EC2. That's Amazon. And then they got, uh, they got 20% of those running on serverless. So I don't know how that breaks out as far as workload, but serverless totally mainstream now. They got twenty percent of their stuff running on it, which, which seems like a big deal. Now I think, I think what they're saying is, uh, is that I think overall, if I read the quote correctly, they got like a seventy to eighty percent improvement in, as they say, performance of interactions on the website. And wait for it, batch processing. So there you go. Mm. Good old control M being optimized. And every time I read batch processing, what I assume that means, and I actually, I think I found a presentation. I, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to my kind of like, uh, notes on reading up on this. I think I found a presentation where they, someone from Sainsbury's went over how they converted a nightly FTP job into like, an S3 serverless sort of thing. I don't know if it was FTP, sure. but it was a similar sort of just like yeah, yeah, that dump, makes sense. dump a file here and do something with it, which which is a natural, obvious thing for an event-driven thing like serverless is like the event is there's a new CSV file. Uh, and well, then and then after that, you'd run some processing and just like inject it into whatever other uh, system that you I have. I mean, you, you remember doing like ACH bash Oh processing. boy, do I. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, sorry to bring up the old, old war wounds. No, no. I, I mean, I'm sure I, because I, I mention this every time. What, what I, I actually, I remember there were, I guess you were one of these people. There were like two people and one of them was uh, one of those yeah. like late nineties, like super cool programming dudes who probably had a VW bus and a lot of like Grateful Dead, uh, bootleg tapes 
Didn't he, didn't didn't that dude wear tie dye shirts and stuff and have like? Are you are you talking about the the young guy, or the old guy? Because the old guy was they had to update the the company dress code. That yeah. yes, you could wear overalls, but you had to wear a shirt under them. Oh man, that's that's a <laughs> good that look. I love that. <laughs> What's going on on this side? I can see yep. my ma from up here. Hey ma. Yep. That guy was the brains behind ACH processing. Oof. Well, so the second thing I remember <laughs> about ACH processing is basically there is no security, <laughs> which is just like astonishing at the time. Yeah, it was, that was amazing. So, anyways, well, I, yeah, I had I, yeah, I had an ATM vendor tell me people wouldn't break into ATMs because they were federal crimes. How's that working out for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know this the security in the cloud just not strong enough am i right no no banks that's where it's at yeah yeah well but it, it's a good it's a good write-up of uh of of you know how one when uh, you know i would say enterprise is is using that cloud stuff which which uh which is great that's those are fun stats to read man they should have just proofed what, what do they do with those 50 dollars bills are they still in circulation <laughs> Oh yeah, they, they they're keeping them in circulation. They're too many to pull them back. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> do, are, do, do people use fifty dollars bills a lot in Australia? Because you know, in the U.S., they're not really so popular. Uh, well, you know, the there's a lot more PayPass, like TouchPay, here mm. in Australia. But uh, yeah, the 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 currency, you know, being um, right now the rate is like under point seven. Uh, to the dollar, so you know, uh, something that costs a uh, hundred bucks in Australia costs seventy bucks in the U.S. So you're going to carry more fifties, you know, than than you might in the U.S. Now, now I never took economics, let alone economics two hundred one. But how come yeah, the yeah. prices don't just like adjust? This is for my entire life been very confusing. Like, is it because the currency fluctuations happen so fast that uh, there's not enough time for like? whatever an Australian grocer is to adjust the cost of avocados to match or like, like I, it's, it's weird to me that like, that doesn't well, they, all they, just they like level adjust. out. Adjust. Yeah, they definitely adjust. And I, and, and living in Australia, you notice it a lot more than you in the U S and in the U S the, the economy kind of buffers out those things. And because there's such a high amount of like trading and stuff, like you can buy grapes any time of the year in, in the U S right. They're like, all right, these grapes, these are from Chile Next year, the you know next week they'll be from California just yeah. because you know they're in season. Australia things are seasonal, and because it's also a pretty small uh, economic market, you're held at the the perils of, of currency fluctuations and seasons a lot more. So as the U.S. and China are having their trade war, uh, Australia is kind of a, a side effect. You know, most of Australia's economy is tied up in China. I see. And agriculture and mining, and so uh, prices fluctuate quite a bit at the grocery store around produce. You know, because like we've stopped buying, I guess, stop buying blueberries right now, and Oof. mangoes are out of season, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, you live in an Amsterdam, you can get whatever you want whenever you want. Yeah, that's um, true. That is pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, and and literally, like I can buy grapes when they're out of season, but it'll cost like you know fifteen dollars a kilo, Oof. and. Yeah, who, <laughs> I was like, how about we move to the next fruit over? Uh, you know, it looks like now you're eating avocados. You know, it's, um, yeah, yeah. So, so prices tend to lag. You know, the, the, they try to ride out some of the currency fluctuations, but you know, eventually you have to start rising prices. Gas is where you see it the most. Yeah, you know? mm. 
Hmm. Because because what you're right. suggesting is that if things were favorable for you, I'm sorry to turn this into a little economics thing, uh, but <laughs> let's but talk like, about the queen some more. <laughs> but let, let let let's say let's say you Matt Ray has ten thousand dollars over in your American yep. bank account. <clears throat> Now, the currency fluctuates into whatever is your favor. If you use our mm-hmm. favorite service, transfer-wise, I think they're going to yep. charge maybe 0.5% to move that money. I don't oh, really it's know. Less. It's, yeah, it's pretty yeah. great right now. Yeah. So, some, something much less than 1% to move and convert that money, right? Yeah. So you can move your $10,000, uh, and you said it's like 0.7, so that you get, you get 30% more dollars. So you're going to get... Uh, is that ten thousand three hundred, or no? I... It'd be like fourteen thousand. Okay, okay, yeah. See, I, got, I can't do math. So you, then you got fourteen thousand dollar Australian, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're like, uh, I got to go buy a T-shirt, right? Yep. So now, why is that T-shirt effectively cheaper for you than not? Like what? Like how? I don't understand how that works. Like, like is it just because like whatever the store is uh, in Australia, they're not like, oh, now we got to adjust the uh, the price of the t shirt up because the the currency tra- match to uh, yeah they, to they, America they... is different. So so like every year they set the price of a t shirt at let's say uh, ten dollars, ten Australian dollars, whereas the currency fluctuates on a daily basis. So you could move money over, and if you time it right. You could buy an Australian T-shirt for the equivalent of eight dollars instead of ten dollars Australian mm-hmm. because you would move money around and they don't do dynamic pricing every day. Right, right. I mean, people just get used to spending, you know, nineteen ninety nine for a T-shirt, mm. and so that price is going to stay that way unless the you know because also um, Australia is not trading with the U.S. They're trading with China, mm. and and so. You know, the U.S. and Australia vary more than Australia and China because, you know, China has got their currency pe- pegged. And so it doesn't really <clears> – <throat> it doesn't, you know, it doesn't show up as much. Um, prices are already generally high in Australia. Uh, so so probably there's a fair amount of buffer built into, you know, those those margins to, to keep – to handle that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, and I don't know uh, – it seems like you know there's not as much choice of what to buy, so uh, I, I, I don't I don't know what the, the the answer is, but but yeah, when right now uh, the 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 currency is sixty nine point three cents, which is the lowest it's been since I've lived here, and I'm you know just transferring over buckets of money as much as I can because it'll go back up. So basically, yeah. you should move a shit ton of money and buy real estate because the real estate will <laughs> well, like no. maintain its value and rise, and then you can get like. You basically would be getting like a thirty percent discount on the Australian dollar for real estate you bought in Sydney, which is like that's expensive, right? Yeah, Australia, uh, like buying real estate, still not probably a great deal. Mm. Uh, they've got a, a bubble going on. You should buy like seems- like some some uh, rare metals or something. <laughs> well, that's. A- well, the 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 mining economy is also starting to shrink a bit, but uh, hmm. I think know. I'm seeing why uh, it's at point six nine. It's it's all it's all coming together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The there seems to be a bubble on the the real estate market. I think housing prices are down like ten percent off of last year. I I, I got um, it. I got it. You need to make some bets on rugby, and uh, you'll get you'll <laughs> get a thirty percent discount on the money you put in. Exactly. Which, which got to go play the pokies and. Yeah. Uh, Put it all into horse racing. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know what a pokey is. 
but I, but I also don't really remember what Bitnami does very well. And uh, so, yeah. so my, my friends over, my corporate friends over at VMware, looks like they bought Bitnami. I used to talk yep. with them a lot when I was uh, at Red Monk and 451 Research. And this was, this is basically the, uh, the days when there were virtual appliances, which, which is something I kind of barely understood back then. It seemed like a, a crazy notion that you would run a virtual appliance, but they were really good at packaging that up and putting a bunch of open source stuff into a virtual appliance. And I believe, and I go over this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe what Bitnami has done now is they basically, they still package up software for you, but they do it in, in probably still in a, a, a VM based way, whatever type of VM you want. But it seems like they also basically are effectively like a, a container registry, uh, sort of kind of and then also they know how to like update the the install that they do of those things which got me thinking isn't that what like habitat does except maybe for off the shelf and off the open source web software uh i mean similar um you know so 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 bitnami's been around for i think they said 10 10 plus years long time um yeah, a long time. Um, we actually used them back at the Xenos days uh, when we made our packagers for, I think we did, for some of the OSs, uh, like Mac OS. Mm. Maybe I'm confusing them with somebody else. But um, yeah, I mean, they got to start with, hey, we've got a, a cross-platform packaging format, you know, like a, an RPM anywhere that, uh, you know, will, you can package up whatever your app is and it'll run. And then that evolved into VMs. And then it evolved into containers and Docker and, you know, cloud marketplaces. And so they've always really focused on, you know, packaging up applications and handling, you know, their life cycle. Um, and, you know, you know if, if you needed like an open source application that didn't have a company behind it, it you could probably find a Bitnami project or package of it on all of the clouds. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it seems like a pretty natural fit for VMware where, you know, they're, they're trying to help people move into, you know, the, the, the VMware cloud, um, you know, the, the overlay that they have. And they're like, Hey, why don't you just package up the things you already have with this and, you know, use one of the many things they've already got and, and, and send it over. I see. Um, so it's basically yeah, yeah. like you have some software you want to package up and, uh, regularize how it's installed on various types of infrastructure that's that's more or less the technology of what Bitnami does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. uh, Stacksmith, right? Is the name of it. And I think it's that's the whole point, right? Is it just generates all the different potential ways to install it, Docker files, Helm charts, you know, etc. Yep. So, I mean, it seems like to me <clears throat> very natural fit to VMware, right? So, and I think the, the the place that probably makes the most sense is that I think you know this is for a long time. It's always been like this would be the preferred way for all ISVs, right? To just yeah. you know partner up with them and then um, either create like a, a catalog or a repository. So I think Bitnami and you know I always think about like winners and losers and you know why does this make more sense? But I think Bitnami doing it as just their own smaller smaller company was it always kind of made sense, but it was always like, huh, this would probably be better suited for like a large company. And VMware seems yeah. like the natural place where it's like, yeah, just because now all the ISVs can call VMware and say, yeah, let's, we want to package it up. We want to put it in all the popular configurations. And then, you know, I'm sure VMware will eventually say, well, why don't you just like buy it from our catalog, get it off our standard catalog. And, you know, that'll be a lot easier. So I think that that all makes total sense to me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, also too, it was a nice, uh, 
you know, sometimes you see these acquisitions and there's a lot of like, oh no, I'm sorry to see that. But I actually thought this was very positively received. And I think a lot of people knew what Erica, like I think that's who we used to talk to, Matt, back in the day at Zenos. Um, you know, I think people were just like, I think they only took 1.1 million in funding. And yeah, so I, yeah. I assume they, uh, you know, I just assume at that level they did a good job. I mean, they got a good exit. It's, I don't know, it's it's just maybe, I don't know how to say it in another way. It's like, Vietnami always seemed like, a nice company. Everyone enjoyed working with them. They were nice people. <laughs> it was like nice to see them be bought and hopefully uh, all the people that spent, you know, 10 plus years doing it got a, a nice payout that isn't like obscene, but probably really good for, for what um, they had in the company. So I don't know. It's just nice to see. I mean, so much other M&A and, you know, it's like sometimes a lot of negativity. This one seemed, I know, I just generally felt like there was a good, good, uh, uh, Twitter vibes, if you will, to everyone mm-hmm. towards this one. There wasn't yeah. any like, I can't believe it. You know, my tattoo of Bitnami is out of date, or you know, <laughs> it's no, there's no craziness like that. It was like, no, this is good. We're all happy. Yeah, I, I used yeah. to see her on like the analyst circuit all the time. She's always really nice. She's she's pleasant as as they say in one of my favorite songs, right? Like, uh, if if more people were like her, I, I'd worry about things a you know only a little bit. But that's all. Like she, she was, uh, she was always, it is rare to see, uh, someone be at a company for a long period of time in an executive role. And for the most, I mean, as far as I know, universally positive reviews, it's just, I mean, it's almost impossible. So the fact that she somehow did that is like a testament to her, I guess, in the company and just, just everywhere. Cause normally even, even with the people that you think are generally good, there's usually somebody who's like, Oh, let me tell you some stories. And it's like, no, I've never heard that. You've never heard anything like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not in the circle, but it's, it's good. So good, we, good for we, them. Congratulations to them. We need to start a new uh, LinkedIn endorsement. I guess this is like, you know, five years, <laughs> five years ago, it was fun, but a LinkedIn endorsement. That's uh, not a handful that, that, that would be uh, I'd like that. Good people. Uh, that would be nice. Doesn't even show up and try to get into your hands. Would prefer not to be there. That's that's what I like. Well, that'll be uh, that'll be fun. That you know. Also, uh, since we love charts, uh, I don't have it extracted here, but I think in their official blog post, they have uh, over there. They've got some sort of uh, cloud native strategy chart. It's got a, it's got a, it's a, it's a European style burger. It's got a slice of bread on the bottom and two things on top. No bread on top. I mean, uh, you know, just it's very open face there. You can go check it out. I don't think they modified it to put Bitnami in there. But uh, but that's fine. Now this reminds me of something I hadn't put in the show notes. Let me let me get your y'all's quick take on this. I was reading a um, a little write up. I, I I didn't read it that closely, uh, but it looked like there were some comments about how Red Hat was going to be uh, integrated into IBM, or rather not. And if I remember the wording, uh, and I, I looked at this kind of closely, uh, it said IBM reps will be able to sell usually call it legacy, you know, legacy IBM and Red Hat, but Red Hat reps will only be able to sell Red Hat. Now, I don't, like what, other than me, like making up six different explanations of what's going on there, like what is, um, what's the strategic thinking behind that? What do y'all think? I mean, I, I, I guess they're easing the Red Hat sales force into selling IBM products by telling them like, look, first year, we're not going to put you on the hook for mm-hmm. learning the IBM portfolio. You know, you've got a lot of accounts that might not have IBM exposure. We don't want to, we don't want to mess that up just yet. But like, I can see the flip side too. Like the IBM salespeople, they're like, 
oh yeah, my Rolodex just got you know thirty percent larger. I'm going into those accounts. You know, yeah, more. yeah. That was that was my first thought. Is I mean, obviously this favors the IBM rep if they can figure out how to sell Red Hat, which which is always a challenge for the the behemoth with the smaller thing. But uh, I don't know. What, what what do you think, Brandon? Why would you do that? Well, I don't know. I mean, one, I would just question the source there. It's like, I'm not saying no one said that, but I would be surprised if they have this globally stated policy all worked out at this point. And if, even if they did, like once the acquisition closes, right, they're going to mm, make, that's fair. That's they're going to, they're going to change uh, sales incentives based on, I mean, just like everybody else to get the behavior that they want. So I think that would be at best, this is just somebody saying this is what they think they're going to be. But it's, I think six months into it, you know, you may see something different. And I think probably like everyone, they're just – I think it's just more simple. They're just trying to keep keep it simple for the sales reps. I, I mean because if you – like on all practic, practical means, like even, you know, and I think we all – if you've worked with salespeople at all or sales incentives, like sure, there's always like stuff they can't – like they could do, right? But that's much different than like <laughs> what will a rep do? And, they're, you know, reps are – just like any sales reps, just like anybody else, they're going to do what is the easiest and simplest. So to think that you're like an IBM rep and you maybe don't know the Red Hat portfolio inside and out and you've got some existing accounts, like it's probably not the easiest thing for you to do is go sell Red Hat, right? It's probably easy for you to go sell something else in the IBM truck uh, to start with. So I would expect that's going to be the, at least for the first year, that'll be the most popular sales motion. And then over time, right, as it makes more sense, um, you know, maybe the sales forces get blended together or maybe there are different sales incentives. But, uh, I mean, you just have to remember they're just, you know, if you think about the IBM portfolio just in itself, it's massive. Right. And then you think about the red hat portfolio, it's big. So I just, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into this. I think the place to read though, I mean, the thing to watch is just, yeah, integrating these two companies is, is certainly going to be a challenge, right? Any acquisition at this level is going to be a huge challenge. So I think for the next year watching like what actually happens and then like which leaders stay, which leaders go, who gets promoted, who doesn't, um, that'll probably give you more insight than, um, anything else in any type of sales incentive plans. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. It'll, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting case study. Cause it is, uh, I don't have enough, like well, I would never have firsthand experience because me, me and sales are <laughs> terrible. But like, I don't have enough like secondhand or or voyeuristic experience. But like, the way you, uh, I have noticed over the years, you know, starting with having worked in M and A, that the way you uh, you integrate and synergize your sales forces is perhaps the most fraught, difficult thing uh, about an acquisition. Uh, you know, a technology acquisition. I mean, as as you were joking earlier, there's a whole like, you know. I don't know, tattoo culture sort of thing. But like that pales in contrast to like, well, how about we make some money? <laughs> right. And, and the way, the way you educate people and align them and have them partner or not. And like all that stuff is super complicated. Like it's, uh, yeah. it's very difficult. Yeah. And I, I think but, but, most people, it almost always starts like every conversation will start with the same thing. Like, hey, we don't want to mess up the current deals and the current pipeline. So usually the statement is something like, for the moment, everything is the same for everyone. And the thought, it makes total rational sense that like, that's great because that means the pipelines won't go down. But of course, like the reality is like, no, it doesn't like you can't really do that. Like you've introduced change into the environment just because you tell the the people everything's the same doesn't mean it's the same because like mm. and this is where like it takes like probably six to eight months for like 
leadership for people to really become comfortable with like, oh, you know, we didn't want to make any changes because we didn't want to affect the pipeline. But it turns out the pipeline's being affected by these this this is an announcement, right? And then there's the slow process of trying to figure out different incentives that provide, you know, make sure all the reps can get paid and money can be made, but at the same time that doesn't cannibalize any one product line too much. So this is why I just think acquisitions, as you're alluding to there, code to M&As, I mean, it's, it can take years to like really figure out the right set of incentives that yield the right kind of pipeline and ultimate revenue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the kind of thing working in the tech industry that may be like uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work in some counterexample or, or some example of this. But it's just like I always feel like this notion that you're going to acquire a company and like they always use this phrase, keep them at arm's length or run them independently. Like it's just like if I had any voice or authority working on that deal, I would be like, then why the fuck are we acquiring this company? Like like what are we like if they're going to operate independently, are we just harvesting 5% of revenue from them? Like what – what are we going to do? Like, why are we going to spend this like multiple on it if we're yeah. not going to well, somehow synergize uh, between yeah, the two Yeah, no, companies? 100% <laughs> agree. And the thing that I always um, think about these acquisitions, right? It's like, there's always pros and cons, but like one thing with all acquisitions, especially at this level is that, you know, you know, it's, it'll sound funny to say this, but like you've actually introduced a new competitor into each one of your sales, uh, sales cycles. And that's yourself because the first thing that all anyone's going to want to know about, even if you're just like, you know, just kind of doing your own thing and you're maybe just a, a, a bank in the Midwest, the question is going to be like, so what's the plan? Like how exactly does the IBM product line uh, different than the Red Hat product line? Like everybody, every rep, every sales engineer, everybody that works the company, they're all going to be asked that question because people are just naturally curious, right? They're just like, oh, well, like what's the future? Like is RHEL going to change? Are, is IBM Cloud going to be the same? Are you still doing Bluemix? Does the Bluemix brand still exist? You know, like all these are just natural questions. It's almost like, you know, the nature of like gossip, right? You're just like, oh, like, you know, oh, so-and-so, got married what's going on right so um so like that's gonna slow down this is back to the incentives like that'll slow down every single deal right because you just it's a conversation everyone wants to have so if you don't have like a really tight answer or and it usually takes a while to figure that out it's like this is why the sales initially go down right and um until they work out yeah. that entire thing and then of course even if they had it all figured out just getting that message across uh, a large group of sales reps in a, in a whole organization that probably takes you know anywhere from 12 to 18 months as well yeah and and then the positive version of all of that, more or less, is like uh, one should expect that success in an acquisition takes a long time, <laughs> right? So <laughs> yeah. so like it's going to take many, especially the giant ones, right? If you're just doing uh, some sort of tuck-in or or a technology acquisition or whatever, like sure, no problem. Even that's going to take like a year or two. But especially something like this, it's just like. It's going to take a long time to uh, make sure everything works out. So, you know, set your expectations. But when you're you're like, uh, however old IBM is, like a 110-year-old company, it's just like they they had a – I I still haven't read that book that's the history of IBM. But, you know, they took a good five, ten years to integrate together all their weights and scales and punch cards and seemed to work out. So, like, if if, if you just – there's some interesting, like, board fights and stuff that they had way back then with – who is it? Thomas Watson Sr. or something? That guy was a real operator. He really like, he really came from, uh, I guess it was NCR, the cash register people. And he came in there and just like took shit over. 
it's kind of astonishing to read uh, the history of that. Because you can imagine he's in one of those like tweedy suits with like some Hudsucker proxy ticker tape going, and he's just uh, <laughs> man. That's a that's a whole other world Which, back then. I was gonna say, flash forwarding a little bit to just a little bit uh, more recent acquisition. Like, I mean, go back to the time of Tivoli, right? Tivoli was a huge acquisition at the time, right? Not as big as, at least financially, as Red Hat, but and there was, I think, clearly some overlapping, uh, you know, product lines within IBM. And you know, you look look at that now, it's like, I mean, the Tivoli brand still, even though it's been retired for a long period of time, it still lives on. But I, I do think, you know, if you just sort of judge that acquisition based on, you know, did they make, did IBM make its money back and a lot more? I think the answer would be yes, right? Like if you th- think about where all those products ended up and, you know, the, the different places in the organization it touched. So, but that's been, I mean, at least, I mean, we're almost talking 20 years, right? So I think if you yeah. look at it that way, to your weight, I guess you're like a weight metaphor, like a, what is it like in the short term, it's a track meet in the long term, it's like a scale. I don't know, some say, some saying like that. Right. And it's like, I think, you know, if you look at it that way, I think it could definitely happen. And I do think, you know, just to what I said, right. Like there are definitely answers to a good story. Like I think you would just go all in on OpenShift. OpenShift is the platform mm-hmm. of the future. And you talk about wh- why it's that and the, the containers, right. I mean, there's a nice story to paint uh, inside that. That's pretty simple, but that's sort of dependent on like all the other people in organization getting in line and that's yeah. that's a hard thing to do man yeah, and, yeah. I, I mean i mean as 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 i as i've said i love that people when people say that but uh anyways as i've been thinking throughout this right like i mean they've got they've got rel right like i mean that's yeah that's an amazing asset that if you if it had like the um i don't know what to call it the uh the go-to market and the marketing of like all of ibm behind it it would be like almost I, unstoppable is an overstatement, but it would be amazing, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's a lot. It's already very successful and like ubiquitous. And then if it was just like IBM was like, yeah, use our operating system, which is not AIX or, you know, <laughs> or, or mainframe well, and, stuff. And, and, yeah. And, and the, the <clears throat> IBM sales folks, they know, they know the AIX accounts that they've been putting up walls around to keep Red Hat out. And so mm. now they're like, oh, we get paid on this. So, you know, I, I think I think in the short term, you know, the, the Red Hat sales people will be incented to keep doing what they're doing because, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but sales folks are, are fairly mercenary. You know, uh, I mean, literally, they're, you know. They're, they yeah. are mercenaries, uh, and they're not getting tattoos, right? So they're they're the ones who are, <laughs> they're the ones who are going to like, okay, what can I sell in the next, you know, the next year? What you know, what what do things look like for the year ahead? And the IBM people, they'll you know, they'll look at the the Red Hat portfolio, which, you know, there's no way that 100% of Red Hat's products are going to survive the transition, mm. right? So you know, there there's going to be like. Well, you know, this JBoss product gets, you know, sacrificed in favor of WebSphere or, you know, this line of whatever else is, is you know, replaced by some IBM product. And and there will be some like, you know, AIX cannibalization in favor of RHEL. But like the salespeople in two years, I would I, I put money down that like in two years, 75 percent of the, the Red Hat salespeople will be gone. Mm, love, love a big slice of AIX. <laughs> That's 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 what you're. But I do think to your point, right? Like the way these acquisitions are successful, right, is when you take something that's been a really strong product on its own and any kind, right, and then you 
amplify it with a bigger sales channel. So like Rel is an obvious winner. It's like, Rel, I mean, it's, it just feels like that is the enterprise Linux. So, so if you take that, there isn't, it isn't like people have to be taught how to sell it or it's more like, Oh great. Now all I have a much bigger sales force that can sell something that people already want. That's where you make this tremendous amount of money back in my opinion. So, uh, and to your point, like, I, I think, you know, I, there's always this like, you know, almost fear inside a company to like declare winners and losers. But like when you sit outside the company, you just, it's just so obvious to you. You're like, rel is the future. AIX isn't right. And then, you know, I don't know the J boss web sphere one. That's actually more interesting. That seems like a more of a fair fight. Like, I don't know, like, I'm not sure if you would declare a winner. I think, you know, a lot of the cloud stuff IBM has compared to OpenShift, like, well, I think it's pretty clear OpenShift. Like, you know, so, so, but inside a company, you know, the amount of PowerPoint that gets generated about like this versus that, I mean, it's millions of slides, right? It does not like it just, it happens fast, even though as an outsider, you're like, I could do this in like an hour. Just give me the spreadsheet and I'll just, you know, I'll just, <laughs> I'll knock this out. Like you'd probably be 90% right. And that doesn't, it's not like me personally, it's probably anybody in tech, but it's just cause you're so dispassionate. But just remember right. inside a company, it isn't just dispassionate robots. It's like, no, people have spent years of their lives of, yeah. uh, on all these things. And some people even have tattoos. Right. And it's like, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty hard meeting to be like, I got the, you know, I got the J boss tattoo. I'm not going to probably be like, tattoo. Right. Yeah, you're you're not gonna sit there and be like, you know, I think your thing is better when your tat and it's your the tattoo is on your arm. No one has ever done that. Well, so yeah, and, that has to Red work Hat itself 8, out. Yeah, Red Hat Eight just came out, and you know the the OpenShift consuming of CoreOS is is mostly done, and you can see, you know, well, about half of CoreOS is gone now, and you know they just consolidated it into you know the existing product suite, and there's there's a Red Hat CoreOS variant still alive and they're still trying to do a little bit of the live os but yeah a lot of that is just subsumed mm. what, and, what, what yeah. like like what's what's the half that's gone what is that is that code or people or or what um i mean large parts of code like the projects are you know well we had duplicated efforts here we picked our favorite bits out I of that see. and brought them over here and you know ours was not as good as theirs and you know again I don't know the numbers, but you know, I bet if if you go into LinkedIn and did a little bit of data mining and found the the salespeople from CoreOS, you know, clock's ticking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess our major conclusion is uh, enterprise software salespeople don't get tattoos. That's just like that's that's how you can tell. <laughs> there them. you go. Yeah. Yep. Well, well, you know, as as another thing, just a little. I I always enjoy these little moments of uh, market share analysis pedantry, just to go over some. So there was. Uh, I don't know where this came from, as with most of the links in uh, in our uh, our whatever it is we're talking about. I lost my words there for a moment, but uh, th- there was this headline that uh, ha- how Windows and Chrome quietly made 2019 the year of Linux on the desktop. Now, uh, I closely monitor when virtual desktops are going to take over because that's next year, <laughs> which which is similar to I think that next year is is highly related to my daughter's operating definition of last weekend. Uh, and to her, last weekend is basically any moment in time from which she could first remember time existing as a thing. So, you know, she might say like, uh, you remember last weekend in Texas when Nana gave me a pony, which could have happened like three years ago. Right. So, uh, you know, next year is always the, the equivalent of uh, last weekend. 
But so Linux desktop's always going to come. So it's a, it's a fun headline. So I wanted to dig into that and see what was going on. Now, I think we covered the Windows part, and uh, I think it was you, Matt Ray, as always, who clarified this. So there is there is some some nifty type of Linux that's shipping in yep. Windows, but it runs in a VM that's highly tuned, so you can like run set and knock faster or, or something you like know that. It. So so that's fine. So you're shipping a Linux VM. Is that accurate in all Windows? So that's cool, right? But that's yeah. I I I don't I don't necessarily know if that's a Linux desktop. Uh, but still, <laughs> there's you know this it'll be fun once all of that ships to see how this affects the uh, the IDC always breaks up uh, breaks out operating systems based on paid for and shipped, and it'll be fun mm-hmm. to see how much uh, Linux gets a uh, a rise out of that because effectively, I guess. Whatever version of Windows is, every single Windows version, if they change their definition, maybe not so. But every single Windows thing will also be a Linux uh, distribution. Uh, you know, it, know, it's a developer tool. I think you have to turn it on. So, uh, yeah. I, okay, I, I'm, okay. I, I'm the, I'm the you you Windows the making... Store. The Windows App yeah. Store. I think you have to download it. You have to do stuff to actually make it work. Yeah. Now, now there was it's also not, it's not out of the box. Now there yeah. was also a mention of Chromebooks, and I guess that's a type mm-hmm. of Linux. And to be to be fair and truthful, like I went off on this jag. I don't really care what the article was saying. I was just like, oh, Chromebooks. <laughs> and and I used to every time Chromebook numbers came out back when I was an analyst, I was fascinated to cover their market share. And so I thought, mm-hmm. and this is what I mean by pedantry is is let me walk you through how I modeled out. Like, all right, so a, a Chromebook significant, and therefore something about Linux desktops, right? So I looked up a bunch of uh, press releases from Gartner and other people, right? And uh, it looks like if you look at let's call them PCs, like desktops and uh, and uh, laptops. I, I now that I'm mentioning it, I don't know if they would include workstations in there, like your big uh, what are those big honkin' Dell boxes called? I used to have one of those, but they're big. You know, they're used by like oil and gas people and CAD CAM people. Tough books. Yeah, tough tough books. That's right, tough books. No, no, these are the big things that that weigh like seventy pounds, uh, and they're giant machines that you can do things. Oh, on. I thought you were talking about like those hardened Toshiba ones. Oh no, no, they're not. They're not. PowerEdge is a server, and then you have. Hmm, hopefully, someone remembers the name of these Dell things. But whatever. Let's assume it includes that as well. So, according to the uh, the est- Gartner's estimate for the two thousand six Q four. Uh, I think I think just to, there were 9.4 million Chromebooks shipped out of a total of 72.6 million uh, like laptops and PCs. So you're looking at about a 13% market share, which is pretty good. Like I think I think Apple kind of hovers around like a 10% market share, uh, basically for for Mac OS stuff, which is still kind of mm-hmm. astonishing. So but better margins. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Mm-hmm, yes. Much better margins. Uh. So so that's cool. We got that going on now. Now there's a bit of uh there's a bit of footnotery you got to do here. One, what do we know about what do we know about Q4, my my fellow podcasters? What uh what significant aberrational events happen in Q4? <laughs> Black Friday. Uh-huh. You got Black Friday. And yeah. what's that lead up to? You got Christmas. <laughs> Basically, the rule of yeah. thumb, the rule of thumb if I remember at least in enterprise sales is anywhere from 50 to 75% of all your revenue will be made in Q4. Now, that's a little exaggerated, but basically Q4 is going to be your biggest quarter, right? Because everyone's yeah. going to wait till the end. So whatever. 
that amount of units, this doesn't really affect the estimates because that affects every other type of thing as well. But, you know, it's just a way of tempering that when you see a Q4 estimate, you got to be a little careful about doing a, um, uh, now I'm forgetting my words, a, uh, a run, a run rate on that because it's not going to be too accurate. Well, and and Q3 is going to give you your back to school. Mm, yeah, you right. Got that. And you if, got that. if you're talking about these Chromebooks, like a large part of that's probably the education market. This is you know, a good, I know my, my son point. had one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a good point. Yeah. Now, now the next level of analysis that we learned from my first—well, I didn't say first, maybe my second or third favorite analyst, Horace Deju—is that nowadays when you're considering PC shipments, you really need to put smartphones and uh, tablets in there because those are those are competing for the same share of wallets. So. I went yep. in and tried to look up what your total, uh, you know, when you're doing this is off of press releases, instead of getting like the actual source, you got to be a little clever in what you're doing because you can't look up definitions and I don't know, use the pivot tables, whatever. But it, but if you look at like the press releases, I think I think basically uh, Gartner says in 2016 across PCs, tablets, mobile phones, so all these things, there were 2.33 billion devices shipped in uh, 2016. Uh, which that's a lot of shit shipping. That's there. a lot of Chinese and, electronics. And I think most of it is, is smartphones and, uh, and tablets. I couldn't this back to my point. I couldn't tell if they put uh dumb phones in there. Uh, they had something called ultra premium phones, which is Ooh. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, so when you do the math on that, uh, out of, out of the, uh, I don't know, 2.3 billion or whatever Chromebooks, I think, if if I calculated this correctly, I did this before, so you can look in the show notes. But it's about like two percent if you round up or something, and uh, and then so then let's get back to this Linux thing. Putting away the idea that uh, be- just because a Linux VM that you have to activate ships in Windows that doesn't count as shipments. If you wanted to be less than precise, <clears throat> you could uh, put an asterisk in front of uh, NIX and call it the Nix thing, and then ios and uh, not ios i guess ios maybe is too oh, i didn't think about that wrinkle i don't know what ios is based on <laughs> but mac os is based on bsd now i have never really understood what the difference between bsd and linux is and uh, as as they say in other podcasts as they say in other podcasts don't email me i don't care <laughs> right basically does it have a man page then it's a then it's a Linux to me. That's 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 okay. a, it's it's some sort of Unix variant. I don't care. But it, yeah. let's let's just oh, be man. let's just oh, be man. less We're than precise. Email now. We're getting some email now. <laughs> let's just yeah, be yeah. less precise and let's let's throw in BSD variants. You know the BSD fork of Mac OS or Next or whatever. That, that, that's clearly an extra thirty thousand device. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then I think you're looking at I think you're looking at maybe a ten percent share of like all the stuff that's in there. Maybe I don't know. But uh, you know uh, I I wouldn't really call that victory for the Linux desktop yet. They're still mm. next year, Hard. 2020, well, you know, big next year. year. It, yeah. If, if, if you're including phones, smartphones, oh, all those Android good. phones are Linux. Oh, oh, good, good. You saved it, Matt Ray. It's the uh, <laughs> Linux Linux desktop is good if your palm counts as a desk. Every, everything <laughs> everything pans out. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yesterday I was trying, trying to explain to my kids what netbooks were, mm. and I was like, they had a bright, shiny moment before the iPad came out. <laughs> I got one of those Zenos ones from from your buddy Hinkle with the zebra on it. Yeah, that, yeah, that was yeah. that oh, was wow. that was yeah. a that was nice. good stuff. 
That's yeah. a classic. That's probably worth millions of yeah. dollars right now. Oh, I well, think I sent it to Goodwill or something. Yeah. yeah. I do so feel like was... the Chromebook, though, even when you're at like the kid's school, people are like, oh, you're using the Chromebook? And the kids are like, yeah, the iPads were taken. Like, that's always oh. like the, uh, you know, it's oh. always, I, I've never feel like the Chromebook is, uh, it's it's the thing that's av- most available, not ever loved. Like, I never hear somebody like, oh, I got a new Chromebook. I just replaced my uh, my MacBook with a Chromebook. I'm so much happier. Or even my Windows. Yeah. It's just, uh, so it's always funny when you run through these numbers. It's just like, the Chromebook is a great utility device that people will choose if given no other option. Yeah. It's like, Wait, okay, well, good, yeah. good job. And and, 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 and let, and, let me yeah. let me let me make explicit my counterpoint to my counterpoint. And you, Matt, Matt Ray raises a good basically. If you throw in Android and probably iOS, I mean iOS. I don't know. Did they do that from the ground up? But even especially if you throw in Android and everything, it is. Uh, and we're not even getting to the cloud and the server side. But yeah, I mean, I guess I guess for end user devices like Linux, I don't know what to call it, but like Linux is a pretty fucking big deal. So, like, uh, good for them. That's <laughs> this just in. Yeah, Maybe yeah. if you were IBM, you might want to buy it. <laughs> hey, and then and then on the service, I'm I'm always I've always been a little skeptical of the sort of like Linux runs the cloud and therefore whatever rah rah stuff. I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, I I shouldn't be that skeptical because it runs the compute, but it mm-hmm. is. There's something, but all this data, that. like sort of, un, it sort of obfuscates. Like the point people want to make is like, will there be a day, like beyond all of this, will there be a day, like, hey, we're opening a company, like it's a call center, we're getting like a hundred, we have a hundred people in the call center. Like, are we going to buy them all Chromebooks instead of Windows laptops today? Yeah, or, yeah. or and it's like today, almost every see, every other company is going to do is going to buy a Windows computer of some kind. So like that would be the interesting thing. It's like, yep, the shift finally happened. Like, yep, we opened this big company. It's an enterprise company. It does some type of business functions. And they actually, most companies are making the switch. They're no longer buying Windows uh, notebooks or PCs. They're buying Chromebooks. Like, yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't know. Here we are. Like we're, we're like well into this and that's not changing. Right. Like everyone's still getting some Windows right. laptop. I think you're right. That's the good framing. Well, well, uh, speaking of framing, we got a, there's a lot of conferences that are always coming up. Now it's going to be August. You're going to want to go to DevOps Days Minneapolis. I was looking at their, uh, their, I was trying to figure out like, uh, what talks should I be given? Like, if you have any suggestions, you should email me that. I need some new talks. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I've got some genetic defect where I don't think I can come up with talks that, uh, that people want to hear. It's very weird. Uh, well, not weird. I don't know what my problem is. But I'm always looking for new ideas. But you got DevOps Day Minneapolis going. It looks like on their agenda, a lot of security stuff. Our uh, our goat farm guy is go- doing some workshops there. So so he'll show up. Uh, but you can get a uh, $50 off if you use the code SDT2019 to register for it. We still got a lot of uh, spring tours all throughout the year. Uh, if you go to uh, springonetour.io, you can look those up. There might be a discount. I don't know. I, I, I forget. There probably is one. But uh, you should definitely go attend those. Those are fun, and I'll, I'll be going to some of them. And then and then also, totally just because of my uh, my old association with them, I saw that the uh, one of the Red Monk US, the Red Monk North America conference, Monktoberfest, where there's lots of beer and talking about the uh, the great side, the people side of the this tech industry. It's going to be October third and fourth in Portland, Maine. Uh, not the other one. And I saw their CFP is open. Now they have a very malleable open CFP, as it were. They didn't really specify topics that are interested in. Uh, and it really basically never closes. Uh, 
So basically what that means is you should pitch Steven on some talks. And uh, if he's interested in it, he might accept it. But if you can make your way there, you should check it out. It's a great conference. I've been there embarrassingly once. <laughs> but uh, but I've watched the videos, and uh, it's a good thing. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Any any conferences you want to tell people about? It's finally here, man. Uh, Sunday I fly over to Seattle, and uh, ChefConf is uh, where I'm going to be. Mm. Um <clears throat> I don't have it. I, I, I've, I'm going to be, I'm going to be TAing a, a workshop and I'm going to be given a talk about banking on automation. So hopefully I'll see you there. Uh, and then, you know, being in Seattle, I, I hear they've got tacos. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be on the lookout for tacos. Mm. Full report, full, full report back on the taco situation. <laughs> send, send some pictures and, uh, yeah, lots of pictures. What you've got to uh, do, Matt, you know, so what you should call Instagram? it is you should call it, you should call it Matt Ray's <laughs> Chef Con Taco Inspection. Oh, there we go. Huh? Oh. huh? Oh, huh? gosh. Oh, he doesn't yeah, work and, in marketing and, for nothing. For That's every conference, you should start to make a habit tat out of it. Oh, is that good? Keep working it, Gote. Thank keep you. Working Thank it. you. All right. Well, Brandon, Go do we take. have any uh, announcements, administrative stuff to say, go over? Well, one is you just your new talk is tacos and IT transformation. That's your that's that's it, Gote. There that's you go. your uh, that's yeah, all you yeah. need to know. No, do no need to people. email me. I think that's it. It's, it's done. Uh, we do. We we had a uh, email from Tom from the Netherlands. Gote, you have to help me here. His town is Schindermann Kuglen. I don't know if that's how you Sounds say it. Sounds perfect. Yep. incredibly long and i it reminds me of uh like what is a spelling test like for the 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 eighth or the second graders over in uh, the netherlands i'm just like <laughs> i don't even know how anyone can learn it's how to a handful of scrabble tiles <laughs> it's just it it seems it seems like the uh the dutch must make the spelling test very very hard so anyway he said thanks for the awesome podcast so we sent him a bunch of stickers and i, I told him i was like well maybe you know i did the american thing it's like well i don't know maybe you'll run into kotak you know so there you go yeah. there you have it <laughs> that's right there's not <laughs> that many people sticker, here if you want a sticker, you can just send your mailing address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will send you a sticker anywhere in the world. So definitely hit us up. That's right. We'll go. We'll go get some bitter ballin' and uh, sprinkle like chocolate sprinkles on top of uh, buttered toast. Call it a day. That'll be good. Uh, well, as always, you should check out the Slack. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com, uh, I think it's slash Slack. You can uh, join us there. There's always a lot going on there, and uh, it's 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 fun to hang out. Well. This week, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend? Uh, well, you know, uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I, I, I do like TransferWise for sending money internationally. So I, I had to uh, to pitch that out. But uh, this week, I'd like to recommend uh, – I've got two, two recommendations. One is an episode of the Planet Money podcast uh, called How Uncle Jamie Broke Jeopardy. Um, you know, they, they've got the, the, the guy – Jamie Holtzhauser, something like that, who's on a tear on Jeopardy. I think we talked about it last week. Um, one of the Planet Money anchor hosts is his brother-in-law. And um, they did an episode where they kind of broke down how he's attacking Jeopardy, you know, how he's like, you know, thinking about it with game theory and stuff like that. And uh, it's pretty good, you know, if, if you're into the ins and outs of Jeopardy. And, you know, then there's the the overlay of, uh, rivalry between uncles who can be the coolest uncle and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's entertaining um, and then my, my other anti-pick is uh, you know I, I, I'm, I'm a big sci-fi fan and uh, there was a 
a big budget movie uh, out of China called uh, The Wandering Earth. And it was based off of a uh, short story by uh, Sixin Liu, who I've recommended his books before previously. But, man, the movie I, did not do much for me. Um, uh, just because it was literally, you know, a big budget Hollywood kind of movie where you're like, that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, that, you know, you can't drive from, you know, China to Indonesia in four hours. It's like, yeah, it was just, <laughs> it, it just made my head spin and it, it just made me angry at, you know, the bad science fiction. Mm. So what you're saying <laughs> is don't watch that. Well, I, I, and apparently it's got like the Chinese version of the rock in it. So that, oh, that should have been. <laughs> and and if you're if you're gonna drive to Indonesia, either bring thirty dollars or be an Australian because you you gotta get a visa <laughs> or claim that you don't have money for it. So yeah, uh, yeah. We got, we got it, it just there were there was a lot of head scratching and uh, but you know it, it was it was I guess uh, it was a nice try. Um, I, I definitely encourage uh, you know the the other markets keep making more science fiction because you know I, I always like the hidden gems, but. This was not a hidden gem. Well, I, I want to suggest <laughs> that the the current benchmark for a uh, just kind of like a highly entertaining but super dumb like sci-fi movie is is the first Pacific Rim. Just like if you think you I can do seen it yet. if you think you can yeah. do better than that, you should do it. If not, make uh, some independent movie. Do something else with the money. Like don't <laughs> don't 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 waste it. Well, how about yourself, Brandon? What do you recommend this week? Yeah, well, speaking of independent movies, I watched this, um, I guess it was kind of a low-budget, kind of a little bit sci-fi movie called Jonathan on Netflix. And so it's just about a guy that has a unique condition and uh, kind of like, you know, we we, we watch him in his life as he tries to uh, deal with it. So I think it's it's worth watching. It's good. You know, it's it's probably very easy to watch on... uh, uh, a flight because it's just you know again low budget not a lot of special effects so it's perfect like ipad kind of movie and i think the ending i like the you know i always like it when the endings kind of leave you with like huh what exactly happened there so so check that out mm. and then i was also going to uh we'll give a quick shout out to our sponsor solowin so uh microsoft of course came out with a new uh terminal and they have this really cool uh you know hyped up video about um how you can use the new terminal and all these things. And it's well done. It has music. I think it is very well done. But it reminded me of of, a video I had a hand in at uh, SolarWinds. It was uh, under their Dameware video. So it's Dameware SSH. And we did like a movie trailer. So I'd like to say I was one of the creative forces behind it. But it's like uh, you go back and you read something you wrote a long time ago or you watch something. It's like, did it hold up? Is it still good? And I actually thought this one held up. So I figured I want everyone to watch the Dameware movie trailer for – the SSH client that they released a long time ago, and you can compare it and tell me if you think it holds up and if it stands the test of time against the new Microsoft terminal video. Mm. So, uh, you know, you can waste uh, one minute of your life watching both of those videos, but they're kind of fun. They're both kind of fun. So check them out. Well, uh, highly related anti-recommendation, do not go look up all my Red Monk videos and watch those. I don't, I don't <laughs> think they stand the test did not of time. Have, did not hold up. It is hard. It's very hard to go back in time and watch things that you maybe once did. Uh, so. Yeah, there's, there's a few where I have abnormally very curly hair, which is kind of a, an oddity. So maybe you can find those. But oof, those videos. Uh, they were great at the time. So uh, first of all, if you haven't purchased my book, 
digital WTF, which is a collection of uh, register columns and, and other things that I have. Uh, you should go, you can look in the show notes, of course, but if you go to leanpub.com slash digital WTF, uh, and you use the code SDT, you can get it for just $5 uh, instead of, uh, I think it's a minimum of $15 or something. But uh, you should go there, check that out. Just use the link in the in the show notes. It'll be easier to go there. You know, I've read the articles. They're great, if I do say so myself. They're fun. And then my recommendation this week, and there's a couple of other things like a webinar I recorded recently in a podcast, if you're really interested. You can go look in the show notes. But I finished reading this book from some of the people at the uh, the United Kingdom, the UK you know, GDS, which is the Government Digital Services, which most uh, governments nowadays have one of these. And it's called Digital Transformation at Scale. And it's a fantastic book. As There's no tacos mentioned in it. But it's all about, like, you know, fixing up the way that you do IT delivery and software delivery and all of that. And uh, it's very detailed. And it's, it's of course, focused on government stuff. So they talk about ministers and politics and things like that. But in general, I think it's uh, it's good good advice and kind of a systematic way of thinking about things that applies to anyone who wants to improve the, the way they do the software. And, of course, they misspell any word that should have a Z in it. But, you know, you can probably put hey. up with that. That's That's fine. <laughs> And uh, But you should check it out, Digital Transformation at Scale. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 179. Next week will be episode 180, which we will no way celebrate or really care about, uh, I, I, I assume, uh, which is probably good. Uh but uh, also, if you want to see all the past episodes, of course, you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. You should uh, join the Slack channel, see what's going on there. And we're over in the Twitter and the Instagram and LinkedIn and all that kind of nonsense. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. May I help you, sir? If I wanted a whopper and asked you to hold the pickles and hold the lettuce, would I get to hear you sing? No, sir. You'd get to hear us sing. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Hey, you got one big hit. Well, the Whopper's one big hamburger. Have it your